0: you are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Well, recently... I was reading in a blog written by a guy named Daniel Ryan Day. And he wrote, the Christian life is simple. And I like simple things. I don't know about you. I like things that are simple. For me, if I'm making something, the ingredients better be few. Because I'm going to mess it up if if it's not simple. So he says, the Christian life is simple. And it's really about walking with God in such a close relationship that he directs your steps. You know, the statement has been lingering in my mind over the last couple weeks, and, and I've been thinking about the type of relationship that we have with God, one in which we walk, walk, and step with God, one in which we allow him to direct our steps, where we don't pave our own path and make our own life and then wonder where God is because we haven't, walked with him, decided to walk ahead of him. There's that old saying, the, the cart before the horse. Now, I was thinking about what kind of life it is that we need to live to be able to walk with God and communicate with God and be his servants here on earth. You know, and it's a life that's intentional. It's one in which we're communicating with God every day and actively pursuing his will for our lives. I believe that Christians today desire to please God. However, sometimes we have a draw to please ourselves or to please other people or to fulfill our own selfish desires. And sometimes it gets in the way of us serving God perhaps like we would like to. You know, our goal as Christians is ultimately to love God, to walk with Him and obey Him in all things. These are all intentional acts that require self-discipline, obedience, and a continual surrendering of our lives to God. And it's a surrendering to an authority that's greater than ourselves, and trusting in Him that He's gonna get us through life, and that His plan for us is in fact better than any plan we could concoct or create for ourselves. You know, recently I was, I was also listening to an American talk show host named Dennis Prager, and he was discussing the commands that God gives us in the Bible. And he noted that it was interesting to him that Scripture demands that we love our wives, that we love our neighbor, even that we love our enemy. But God also commands that we love the Lord our God. The fact that this was given as a command, he notes, indicates that these things may not come naturally to us, that we may not in our current state be naturally inclined to do these things. And therefore, God set out a command to let us know that this is how we should live. You know, in fact, we do have a sin nature in the world that is battling with the things of God. And the sinful nature is trying to hinder us from fulfilling the things that God has called us to do. And so evermore, we must be intentional about how we live our life, how we plan our days, our weeks, and design our lives if we want to actually have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, a Christian follower is a follower of Christ. To follow Christ means to be committed to obeying Him every day and partnering with God in our daily decisions. You know, Psalm 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Similarly, Psalms 37.5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he'll bring it to pass. Uh, today we're gonna be mostly looking at Ephesians, and we're gonna be pulling some passages from Ephesians 4. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, or hopefully you can read it on the screen there behind me. Um, Ephesians one. Paul says this, he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you've been called. I like how Eugene Peterson in the paraphrase uh, version of the message says it this way. I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road that God has called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. I know how many times in your life that you maybe have felt like you've gone down a dead-end road. It's not fun, especially if you're driving and your wife's in the passenger seat. You might hear something like, I told you, you should have turned at the last intersection. No. <laughs> Paul implores the church to walk in a manner that he says is worthy of our calling. And so... The question is, what is our calling as Christians? You know, one thing is, is definitely part of our calling is to be sons and daughters of God and ultimately to be conformed to the image of Christ. That is part of the process of walking in a relationship with God as we become like Him. You know, walking in a manner worthy of the calling speaks to how we conduct our lives as Christian people and how we fulfill the call that God has on our lives. And you know, sometimes we think about a call as as in only pastoral ministry or, or a mantle of someone who operates in a prophetic ministry or as an evangelist. But the truth is God has chosen you for a time such as this. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And regardless of what skill sets you have, they are needed in the church and to serve Him in the world around us. And so whether you have a title on your name or not, you have a call. God is calling you to something, to service, to love others, to influence those in your sphere of influence, in your workplaces, because you guys are gonna be places that Pastor Hayward and I will never be. I'll, I can't, I don't know when I'll be behind the counter at WalkBox, I don't. But if that is where you work, you have an opportunity to brush shoulders with people every day that I may not get to more than just a 30-second a transaction at a till. And so you guys all work in different places. You live in different places. You have different neighbors than I have that you get to rub shoulders with. And God has a plan and a call for you to love your neighbor, whomever he or she may be. You know, our actions are important. How we conduct our lives matters. You know, our actions matter, but our heart motivation, I would argue, matters even more. You know, we can displease God by living in sin or choosing to live disobediently to the Word of God or continuing to deny the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. However, we can also displease God by living like a modern-day Pharisee, by making the exterior of our lives look godly, to please others, to have some form of, of puffed up self-righteousness in which we then feel like we are morally superior to others. And so our heart condition matters. God cares about our heart as much or more than the actions that we are doing. The mot- what motivates us to do things is important. And this is why the Christian life is, a, is an inward transformation that manifests outwards. And so it means that God gives us a renewed mind, He replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And he transforms our being so that we can be like Christ in the world. But somebody can go and be morally good and walk around and do everything that Christ tells us to do and not know him. Can go out and feed the hungry. Take care of the poor. We can take care of the widow and the orphan. And that is part of what we are called to do. But our greatest calling is to be sons and daughters of God, to walk in relationship with Him, and to be transformed into His image. And it's not just an outward manifestation of that we look out on the outside. We don't want to be a clean cup on the outside and filthy on the inside, like Jesus claimed the Pharisees were. God desires that we would be mature, that we would be people that grow into maturity in our faith. And the process of transformation begins in our heart and our mind, and then it's directed to the outer, more visible parts of our lives that other people can see. Maturity in Christ looks like the fruits of the Spirit. It looks like unwavering, godly character. And it looks like obedience to the Word of God and being led by the Spirit of God. These things don't come to you without intentionality, and choosing a relationship with God in which you walk it out every single day, in which you wake up in the morning desiring to see God's face and to please God every day, putting His will for your life above your own plans and intentions for that day. You know, it doesn't happen if we're unwilling to surrender the leading of the Holy Spirit for our own judgment. And it doesn't happen if we do not trust God enough to live a life that's pleasing to Him above pleasing others. And it doesn't happen by accident, but it happens by making a series of intentional decisions, every day prioritizing our walk with God over other things. You know, to return to the verse, Paul directs the church to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling, and what he says, "...to do with all humility and gentleness," and with patience, showing tolerance for the one, another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it means that we're not called to live the Christian life in isolation, one, but in relationship with one another. Paul says we're to do it with humility and discipline, steadily pouring ourselves out for each other in acts of love, And uh, as Eugene Peterson says, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. And so the church, we've got to be operating from unity unity and peace. And so what that means is that um, we acknowledge that we are all different people. We all have different paths that have brought us to where we are. And we're all in different places on the journey of our spiritual walk. And so we have to have patience and we have to have tolerance. We need to be gentle with one another and loving towards one another so that we can work together to become mature and help one another grow from wherever you are to that next stage that God wants to take you. But it's not going to happen in isolation at home, just sitting in your living room. You need to rub shoulders with people. You need to come to be plugged into a local church where you can hear biblical teaching where you can make friends, people that will walk with you, people that, that you know that when you have a need in your life that you can pick up the phone and text or call somebody and they'll be there to support you. We have an obligation to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ to, to serve, to love and disciple one another by relating to one another with humility and patience. You know, it's a large benefit living in within Christian community But one thing that is a huge benefit that sometimes at the time doesn't feel like a benefit is being able to live in a church where people can point out your blind spots, where people aren't afraid, you know, once they have a relationship with you to say, hey, I see this in your life. It doesn't seem to conform with what the Bible says is best for your life. Can I pray with you or talk to you about it? It's an important thing if we want to grow and we want to be led by Jesus. You know, we need to come alongside one another and help people understand the word of God, what it says, and entrust that the Holy Spirit is working in their life to transform and sanctify them. He continues on here in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. He says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. God has entrusted the work of the ministry within the church into our hands, into the lives of men and women who are led by the Spirit of God. And we all have different roles. Some of us, you know, hold particular mantles, like I've said. However, that does not place any one person as more superior than another. We're all siblings in the Lord. And we all have a part to play. You know, Paul is clear that there's a job of these, the people that hold these mantles as pastor and teacher and evangelist to equip the church, to equip the saints. And that ultimately is is my job in a pastoral role to help build up the body of Christ to teach and encourage you in your faith and trust that God will continue to use us all to do that. You know, Paul continues on saying that until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So he's saying we need to continue to do these things, continue to teach, build up, and encourage one another until we're into maturity within Jesus. You know, Paul is saying that we need to mature in our faith. You know, my job as a pastor is to minister to you, walk with you so that I can minister alongside of you. I want to say that again. Pastor Hayward, and my job is to minister to you so that one day you can minister alongside of us. Not in a hierarchical way, but that we are partnering together to fulfill God's call for this church in our community, and hopefully far beyond, Cold Lake. You know, we can't stay baby Christians. Paul continues in the next few verses here in Ephesians saying that we can't remain infants, because God wants us to grow up to know the whole truth and to tell it in love. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything that we do, and he keeps us in step with one another. So this is a concept that some of you um, will know well, this idea of knowing the truth and speaking the truth, but speaking it in love. And this verse in the context of this biblical passage here is relating to the church. and the church serving one another, so that we can grow in maturity and godliness, so that righteousness would be established within the church. We need to be able to speak into one another's lives, highlight ungodly habits and heart conditions that God confronts in his word. And we must be willing with humility to receive and give feedback and give correction. This is how we grow and this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ that we walk in relationship with others, that we hold Christ in the place of superiority in our life, that he is our God, that he is, he is above all things. And we walk in relationship with others in humility, that we can both receive correction and give it when necessary. The picture showing up here. We've got a four little terracotta pots with some succulents. You know, last year, uh, Rhea, at some point, purchased or acquired a, a succulent, and we had it in our house, and we have quite a few plants actually in our house right now. We're, you know, turning into a greenhouse upstairs a little bit right now, but it's good. Um, but we got this succulent, and it was, we had it in its pot, and, and somehow it ended up getting put in a room that we don't frequent very often. And it got watered very little, It got very little sunlight. And after a few months, you know, we walked into the room, and rather than it looking like the first picture there, the one that's closest to the bottom of the screen, that's pretty much what it looked like. All we had was this dried-up, shriveled piece of organic matter that used to be called a plant. And I saw it, and I thought, every time I walked past it, I thought, oh, we need to throw that out. And so one day I see Rhea pick it up, and she's carrying it I said, are you going to throw it out? And she says, no, I'm actually going to plant it just in the backyard and to see what happens, and I'm thinking, it's gone, hun. There's no bringing that thing back from the dead. Like it is, it is dead. You thought Lazarus was dead. This this plant is dead. But anyhow, she goes and she plants it in the soil next to some of our other plants. I think it might have been next to a, a lilac bush. And sure enough, over the over the summer, it starts to come back, and it starts to grow. and And we were just looking at it the other day, and it is looking pretty darn healthy, enough that we can dig it out and bring it back into the house and probably have a nice succulent for for the winter. But I was thinking about this, this plant, this succulent, as it relates to our spiritual life. You know, sometimes we start a relationship with God. and Regardless of where we're at in our walk with God, we might go through a season where we position ourselves in such a place that it's very difficult for us to grow spiritually. You know, some ways that we do that is we isolate ourselves from other Christian people. Maybe we um, stop reading our word. We stop listening to Christian music and worship music. We stop praying and having a deep, thorough prayer life. And all of a sudden, we begin to look no different than our our non-Christian neighbor. Our lives, if if we were to compare our schedules and someone were to be a fly on both our walls, we live our lives the same except on Sunday morning, we get up and go to church. We need to be intentional as Christians to create our life in such a way and organize our life so that we can have spiritual growth and we prioritize Jesus in our life. See, we cannot manufacture spiritual growth. As much as I want to, I cannot manufacture spiritual growth in anybody. The best that we can do is try to create the environment in which people can grow. Surround them with the Word of God. Surround them with the presence of God. Meet together regularly in Christian community. Gathering together to pray, to hear God's Word, to encourage one another to speak into each other's lives, to give prophetic words over one another. But we can't force that spiritual growth to happen. We can position that plant in the window near some sunlight. We can give it some, the best soil we can. We can water it. But then God's got to do the rest. And the same with our spiritual life. That we need to be intentional to position our lives in such a way that we'll be primed for spiritual growth. If you are sincerely seeking after God and setting time aside, that this is my God time throughout the day, maybe it's five minutes every hour. You know, one thing that was really practical that somebody, a Christian person told me when I started working in the oil field, was to, to challenge yourself that every hour on the hour, when you notice that an hour has passed, to stop and thank God, to acknowledge God in that moment. And if you do that in an eight-hour shift, eight times That day, you'll have intentionally thought about God, taken your your thoughts to Him, thanked Him, and invited Him him into that moment wherever you are. So, if I was in a pipe yard, if I was in a welding shop, if I was in in a hole with mud up to my waist, and I saw on my watch that it was the hour, I tried my best to do that, and it was super helpful. And it's something that any of us can do. But we have to be intentional. We can't just think that we'll just wing it and then, you know, five years down the road wonder why we don't feel the abiding presence of God anymore and why we don't feel like we've grown in our relationship with God. You know, my wife and I were just having a conversation about sharing our faith and evangelizing, you know, and, and, and how sometimes I know I've definitely been in a season where there have been times that I've maybe thought, oh, I should say something or, or I feel prompted by the Spirit to say something, but I don't know what to say. And usually in those moments, my life's a little dry spiritually. I maybe haven't been spending time on my word. I haven't been conversing with God. I haven't been doing the things that I need to be doing. And then it's like, do I really want to step out and say something to them because I don't feel like I have anything to say? You know, it's, it's interesting because we should always have something to say. If God has touched your life and the gospel has transformed you, we have something to say. We have something to say. And it primarily, it starts with the gospel. Yes, we can interweave it within how it's affected us and share our personal testimony. But hopefully we have a testimony every day of God's faithfulness and goodness in our life that we can share on a moment's notice. And if we don't, it's probably because we haven't been very intentional about inviting God into our life. Inviting God to be part of everything we're doing so that when those moments do come up, we have something to share when God prompts us to do so. You know, this morning, I wanna highlight four conditions. I'm sure there are many more, but I wanna highlight four conditions that I think are important for spiritual growth. Number one is the development of spiritual disciplines such as prayer, reading, meditating on the Bible, listening to good biblical teaching. What we think about affects our life. I could work myself up right now thinking some really, really sad thoughts and make myself feel pretty sad and depressed right now. Or I can think about something wonderful. Think about how God has blessed me. Think about how grateful I am for the life that God has given me and how he's blessed me with two amazing kids and a beautiful wife. I have a roof over my head and how I have excess in my life, more than I could ever need in almost every area. You know, or I could focus on the things that I feel like I lack. And in that moment, my situation has not changed, but how I feel about it has completely changed. Spiritual disciplines such as prayer, reading and meditating on our word, and hearing good biblical teaching, grounds us but also keeps our mind focused on what's important. Keeps our mind focused on God, keeps the things that are being inputted into our life be godly things so that what comes out of our life in turn are godly things. What you fill your life with is what will come out of your life. Think through this morning, I wanna invite you to think through how you spend your time and how you can invite God into those moments of your life where perhaps God is not thought of or, or is, is absent in, perhaps. He's not absent. He's there all the time. But I want to encourage you this morning to think about your routine, your life, your workplace, what you can do to invite God in and make him real to you throughout your day. You know, maybe it's, it's managing your time better. Maybe it's watching one less Netflix program before you go to bed and open up your Bible for 20 minutes uh, before you feel like you're about to fall asleep. Maybe it's at supper time opening up um, a passage of scripture and reading a couple of verses and discussing it with your family while you're eating. There's easy ways that we can incorporate God into our life and be intentional with the time that we already have, that we're already doing things with people. And just it we've got to figure out what works for you. What works for me and Rhea and our family won't necessarily translate perfectly into your family. But you know your family and God knows your family. And he wants to be part of everything you're doing, whether it's your meal time, whether it's your, your leisure time with your family, your commute to work. God is there waiting for you to interact with him and speak with him. And, and he will as we invite him. Um. the second thing is remain connected to Christian community. You know, sometimes what happens when we start to feel like we're in a slump we start to feel spiritually dry as we disconnect. Maybe in our head we know that we should connect more, but often what happens is we disconnect from Christian people. We stop coming to church. We, stop, we choose not to get plugged into a small group or into a weekly connect group during the week. And instead, we try to do it on our own. But it's important that we live in Christian community. The third thing is godly living and obedience to Christ. And this is important. Like I said, how we live our lives, lives matter. And we need to be people who reflect God, reflect Christ and godliness in the world around us. And so godly living and working to be obedient to God in all things is important. And so it starts with the little things. You know, as, as you read your scripture, you know, in the morning or whenever you, you know, get into God's word, you know, ask God to highlight something to you that I can implement today. Don't view it as um, an academic exercise or reading a novel, but take, make it as an opportunity to say, God, I want to connect with you this morning. and Would you give me something practical today that I can implement that will help me grow in my character, help me grow in my godliness, help me to know you better. And number four, taking control of our thought life, as I've already alluded to before that our thoughts, you know, sometimes we think that we cannot control our thoughts, that our thoughts are our thoughts. But I'll give you a scary thought. Sometimes we think that thoughts aren't important, it's only actions. It's only the things we actually do that matter. Well, Jesus said that if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, it's as though you've committed adultery. If you have hate in your heart towards your brother, it's as though you want to murder them. Our thoughts and our motives matter. They do matter. And so we need to be careful to gatekeep our thought life and make sure that what we entertain in our life is godly. And the last thing I'll say on this, because a message you know, in the near future, I'm, I think I'm going to talk more on this on taking control of your thought life, is this, that. Every random stray thought that pops into your mind, I don't necessarily think you're going to be held accountable for because we have stimulus coming in all the time. But the thoughts that you entertain, God will hold you accountable for that. The things that you choose to fantasize about, the things that you choose to, to run and on repeat over and over and over and over in your head. We have a choice of what we think about, what we dwell on. And uh, I'll just leave you with that think about good things, think about what is good, what is noble, what is right, what is praiseworthy, and uh, fill that with your life. And more of that will come out of your life. You know, there are many things in our life that we can't control. But if we fail to be intentional with our time, our spiritual lives can become like the succulent. You know, our time just gets sucked away, and, and the things of our spiritual lives get neglected. And therefore, our spiritual life is neglected and weakened. Jesus tells us in John 15 that we must remain connected to him. He uses the language of saying that he is the vine and we are like the branches. And branches that aren't abiding with the vine die. You know, on uh, during the food festival, day, Everett, one of our kids was over and they were by the trees down at the beach and one of the kids was breaking a branch off the tree and then or doing something, I don't know, it looked like he that's what he was doing from my perspective. And someone came, one of the workers came and said, no, 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 don't touch the trees, don't break off the tree because they know when when you break that branch off now it's gonna die. When it's severed from the trunk, that tree is, is gonna die. And so for us we need to remain abiding with Christ. We need to keep that relationship alive. You know, a good spiritual life that seems dry, you know uh, no matter where you're at right now, this is how I'll phrase it, is is if you're feeling dry in your life, in your spiritual life, you're feeling like you're not in a growth season, remember the succulent. Remember that when you took that dry, dead-looking succulent and you put it in good soil, and and it got water and sunlight, and you put it in the right conditions, again, where it was no longer neglected that it came back, And it looks better than it's ever looked. It has new growth on it that was not there before. Ephesians 4.14, Paul says, as a result of growing up and maturing in Christ, we are no longer to be like children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine. We are to grow up in all aspects of him. And this is the result of maturing and abiding with Christ is that we no longer have to live like driftwood just feeling like we just get pushed around all the time by the world, but that we get to be set, put up onto a, a ship in which the Holy Spirit will take us where he wants us to go. Rather than being bashed about, you're living with intention and being led by the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 17 says, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles, also walk, but in the the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluding from the life of God. The message says it this way, don't go blindly along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore, feeling no pain. They let themselves go and sexual obsessions addicted to every sort of perversion. But this is no life for you. You learned Christ. And my assumption is that you've paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance in anything. For everything is connected with the the old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on your new identity and your new way of life, which is a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. A God-fashioned life renewed from the inside out, that accurately producing his character in you. That's what he wants to do, church. He wants to conform you into his image. So that your thought life, your motivation, your outward life, that everything would conform to the way that God would want to do it. Because he knows that that's the best plan for you. First Timothy 4.8 And the NSB says, Disciple, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. See, Paul directs us in things that we should avoid as well. And being disciplined in our spiritual life is important because it affects this life, but it affects the the next life to come, Paul says. There are many things that we do in this life that we cannot take with us. The money that we earn, we cannot take beyond the grave. The influence, the stature, some of the things that we do in this world to be great, we cannot take with us because there's a whole new set of rule books about what looks great in the kingdom of God when we pass and stand before Jesus. It's not going to look like the things that made people look great in the world. Jesus says, That if you wanna be first, that you gotta be last. That if you want to be great, then you gotta be the most servant heart of all, serving and loving people. And so the kingdom of God, in many ways, is opposite of how we live here in the world today, where we think if you are great, other people exist to serve you. And Jesus says, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, if you're great in my kingdom, you'll serve the least of these. I want to conclude, well, almost conclude here um, by reading Ephesians 4:25 to 32, but I'm going to read it in the message for sake of time here today, because I feel like it just, it just fits with, with what I'm saying, and I, and I like the way that Eugene Peterson has, has, has phrased this and crafted it from Ephesians 4:25 to32. He says, "The Christian life adds up to this: then no more lies and no more pretense." Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected together after all, and when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. You know, when I read that, I was thinking, you know, have you ever told yourself something often enough that you begin to believe that it's true? Have you ever heard somebody, you know, exaggerate a story time after time after time, and now they don't even remember what actually happened because they've exaggerated the story and told it so many times that the truth is is really opaque, can't quite see it, Don't, don't know where it is. I think it's true that we need to be people who stand on truth, speak the truth, and speak it in love. 26 to 27, he says, go ahead and be angry, but don't use it as fuel for revenge, and don't stay angry, don't go to bed angry, don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so you can help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word is a gift. Wouldn't that be amazing testimony? Like, I've already screwed it up, so this will not be my kid's testimony that the only thing my dad ever said to me was a gift. It was just so life-giving every time he opened his mouth. Because already there's times that I screw up and I say the wrong things. Or, or there are moments where I get upset or angry and, and don't say the right thing in the right moment. But think of it, that speaking only when it's beneficial, speaking what is right, what is good, what is, what is a God word for that moment. So our words are gifts to others and not to their detriment. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. I liked that. And don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, and profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive, forgiving one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. You see, See, Paul touches on so many grand spiritual things, but he gets really practical, too, that how we live our life matters. What people see that aren't Christians, see reflected in our life matters because every waking moment of our day is a testimony of God's faithfulness and goodness in our life to others. And so we must walk with humility. You know, this morning... I want to invite you to evaluate your current spiritual condition, and ask God what intentional things God wants you to do in your life to connect with Him. You have been listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.